Welcome to another episode of Daybreak Crypto here. Swiss and Jake coming with some news headlines hot off the press. I'm going to start by covering a $12.7 million seed fundraise from Molecule.to. They are building up a DAO type of structure that will be building a marketplace for DAO members to participate in biotech investing. And the idea being... If you invest, you get some sort of claim on the IP. So traditionally, biotech is a space that is extreme risk. A lot of work gets done in academic laboratories by people who are not necessarily going at it with a business goal. And what you see is a lot of university programs set up to then try to license successful lab work in order to make money and commercialize the the therapies and get them into patients. And this is sort of the whole R&D engine that takes place at the very early stages of, of all biotech startups, really, in the U.S. at least, for the most part. So this is really exciting because what you have is an opportunity for, I guess you could say, democratization of biotech access. A lot of these companies, they will come up in the ranks and then sell to a huge biotech company which then patents and licenses the therapy for 20 years, making blockbuster type of returns, which is the same way as saying billions of dollars of revenue off of these things. So they coined it in a a press release calling it DSI, D-E-S-C-I, akin to DeFi. So decentralized science, super cool idea. I think the original use case that they've had here is a cohort of investors investing in like longevity research, which is anti-aging, kind of cool, kind of funky, very Peter Thiel-esque. But I think what really is going to be compelling is to see like actual therapies that get used. Not saying that the longevity stuff is not going to go anywhere, but I think from past lives of mine, I, I mean, I'm really excited to see what this could lead to down the road. Um, you have a democ- democratization of this this entire industry, potentially. What did you think when you saw this news, Jake? Well, so I tried to avoid putting on my uh, skeptic or pessimism hat because, like you mentioned, biotech, it's very risky, very... Um, it's, it's a very controlled pipeline, and trying to shake that up, I mean, it's it's going to take a lot of work. But I, the elevator pitch for this is patient groups can choose which projects get funded and later own the therapeutics that treat their disease. So that's a pretty cool upshot. Um, so I thought the idea was cool. When I would, they broke it down their whole protocol into three main categories, um, and I feel a little differently about each one. There's the communities, the IP primitive NFT, and then the marketplace. I feel a little differently about each one. So I guess for the communities, the idea that you would be able to get people, people I would assume with you know these patient groups that are suffering from a common affliction, maybe cancer, let's say, instead of just throwing money at cancer organizations and then saying, God, I hope something comes of this at some point, I guess being able to be a a little more engaged with the community, be able to see the research that's available to fund coming straight out of university. And um, if you're so inclined, you know, being more involved in the development process, uh, pretty freaking cool. 
Uh, I have questions over the IP NFT primitive over because they they're in their marketing they talk about how it makes by wrapping up these this IP in an NFT it makes it like you don't have to play the patent game. I have questions over the legality and all that, but that's a rabbit hole I don't want to get down. So instead, I'll talk about the third category, the marketplace, which. I mean, you and I have talked data marketplaces before, and we're huge fans of the idea, especially when it comes to, you know, like you were saying, like the big problem here is that research comes out of university, and then it kind of gets swallowed up and then put on the shelf so that these biotech firms, you know, because they, they might not fund it, but at the very least, they don't want their competitors to fund it. And those competitive dynamics can prevent breakthrough treatments from being developed. So the idea of having an open marketplace where, the data from even failed trials might find usefulness in other trials instead of just being locked away somewhere really excites me too. So even though I have questions about the legality of the IP and everything, the community aspect and the marketplace is really freaking cool. Yeah. I view this as a derivative of crowdfunding. It's this hybrid between crowdfunding and equity investing or investing in the claims of the future drugs, the future commercial products. So mm-hmm. I think when I say the, when I see the marketplace text, I think more about like uh, a Kickstarter that you can go and pick projects matching like a broker would between investors and investments less about like a data marketplace, but more so of like a, a place that I can go and pick things to invest in. Right. But and then as far as the legal primitive goes, I, I agree. Like it's a cool idea on the surface, but that's gonna take like I don't know what the precedent looks like there. Are they gonna have to create that? What's that gonna look like? Definitely open question, but it's a cool it's a cool thing. Like hopefully this actually creates um hopefully this actually solves some problems, some real problems instead of just funny profile picks. Yeah, because like at the end of the day, like this is a very risky, like I said, it's a very risky area to invest in. It requires a lot of capital. There's a high failure rate, which is kind of just inherent to trying to make useful drugs. And so maybe these patient groups can bear that. Maybe they can, you know, by getting more involved with their own money, they can um, maybe make this a bit more of a successful endeavor. But um I guess that's the other thing is like, uh, do these communities that are crowdfunding, do they have the stomach for, you know, the high failure rate? Like I said, it's just, it's tough to come up with. You know, you go through these trials that have to go through multiple phases. Um, It's a very risky thing. So I I just, I hope people don't go in thinking that, you know, that that they have that risk tolerance. But um, hey, if you got, uh, if you got cancer, I mean, I I don't know. Like, I know that keeps being my example, but. Far be it for me to, to, to uh, you know, speculate on what their risk is or the risk tolerance is for finding an answer to their disease. So, yeah. Yeah. And one thing to add, and let's put it to your article. There are a lot of single named investors in this press release. And so what I see there is wealthy angels. Okay. So you have mm-hmm. 12.7 million to build a thing out is not a lot of money. But when you have all of these names, I mean, there's there's a lot of individuals named in this press release. So in terms of funding biomedical research, there is a lot of angel interest out there in the world. And it, it can be really, really hard 
for the early, earliest of stages to fund the research. A lot of the funds that are out there want to see things past a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really actually hard to get past that point that they all look for because it's a big gating factor that they see that they filter out a lot of stuff that doesn't seem promising. So in any event, you're right, like a ton of risk here, really, really keen to see where this goes. But why don't we pivot to your article because we're, we're cranking through here. Yeah, yeah, we're running long, uh, long but um, I did want to just talk about, uh, so FTX, um, Sam Bankman-Fried's behemoth, uh, is in talks to purchase BlockFi, uh, big popular uh, crypto lending platform, does all kinds of stuff. But uh, this comes after they've already established a $250 million emergency line of credit to BlockFi because BlockFi had been forced to liquidate a really large client that failed to meet obligations on an under-collateralized loan. Um, and it really just came from their balance sheet weakening off of all of their assets, losing a lot of value. Like this is a problem that we've been actually seeing a lot of stories on is that um, these uh, these companies, they usually take a lot of leverage. And um, when, they're, when their collateral decreases in price, they get liquidated and they get in trouble. And their um, their investors who originally provided them with all that capital are seeing their their assets disappear in order to stay afloat and prevent a total run and collapse on their business they need capital and so FTX has become um, at least they're being talked about as the uh, almost like the lender of last resort um, like they're bailing out the rest of the crypto industry and um, I mean, this isn't the only example. Uh, block uh, Sam Bakemanfried also, uh, I believe he owns outright um, quant trading shop Alameda, that also gave a revolving line of credit to Voyager for like 200 million. So, uh, long story short, FTX and Sam and SBF, they're they're trying to keep the major players, a lot of the major players in the space afloat, and they're being positioned as uh, bailouts. And I guess. Do you do you feel that's like a accurate description, or how do you view like the the spending spree that is going on here? I view it as incredibly savvy. I do not view it as a um, as a uh, charitable move. Uh, there's a word I can't think of there, such as an A. It's in my altruistic. I don't view that as altruistic at all, what he's doing. No, I think he's being a savvy buyer of distressed companies. And I view it as a land grab. So I tip my hat to him for what he's doing. I don't view him as a savior. I don't view him as a bailout guy. Um, think about Warren Buffett buying Solomon Brothers equity, right? Back in the day, or what did he do? Didn't he buy Goldman? There was back in like the 90s or something, something right? Like, I, I mean... He bought a ton of shares of, of financial companies in the 08 crisis. Not saying that SPF is Buffett, but like these patterns of really successful investors who who have the capital at their disposal in times of crisis, that, that's what I see here. So um, I don't really have an opinion on this other than, you know, if you've got the capital at your disposal and you've got Sequoia, you've got SoftBank, I think at your, uh, on your speed dial, who's willing to give you the capital to, to back you and, and back your decisions. Cause they, they, those institutional rec, uh, investors recognize SBF's, um, edge in his understanding of how 
crypto works and the markets of crypto work in a, in a chessboard fashion. Like, I think it's savvy. And yeah, then, I, mean, I mean, my take as well is you saw that Howard Marks article, like I just could not help but see these similarities of uh, really some of the greatest investors making moves during these times. And so I view this as just a, a crypto's version of, of that. Well, I'm with you because, you know, it, it's, uh, it requires some time to have a little posterity. But if you believe that five years from now, we'll get through this crypto winter and prices will rebound. Um, you know what? It's, it's not going to, you're not going to look back and be like, wow, it was really nice of, of Sam to, you know, take one for the team. You're going to be like, Jesus Christ, FTX is enormous because they bought everyone at the low. Like, yeah, you're right. It's um, it, it, part of this because it does serve a function of st stability. Um, you know, I, and because FTX as successful as they are, as as solid as they seem, if everything else around crypto devol like dissolves around them, like they can't just be the last man standing. Like crypto is still too young; it's it's too fragile for FTX to be the only company in the world. You need some kind of ecosystem around them. So there might be some of that where he recognizes, and, and FTX at large, who knows what the actual decision making is, sees the benefit in stabilizing industry as a whole. But I think it's more so what you were saying. It's like, phew, I'm here for the long term. If you want to sell me something on the cheap that I firmly believe is going to bounce back, hell yeah, I'll take that deal. So, well, yeah, and, they've, and, and he's made so much money on Solana and all these different startups that they've invested in at the seed stages. So, like, they have a fortress of a balance sheet. Yeah. And, hey, when, when the sky starts falling and you've got that at your – like I said, you got that in your in your war chest. Put it to work and be productive because, um, I, I, yeah, I think it's just the right the right way to go. And you have the uh, the fortress balance sheet. So yeah, I mean, it's smart. because yeah, yeah, because a, a bailout. I mean, that, that's usually driven from the government trying to preserve an industry that's unprofitable to perpetuate more or less an unprofitable system. Whereas this is. This seems like some ruthless capitalism. Like, fine, I'll extend you a loan. I've calculated the risk. Or, you know what? Maybe I'll just buy you and I'll take your assets because I'm stable. So, yeah, I, I, I don't really view it as a bailout. If that's the shorthand people want to go with, fine. But this is um, this is the market. But, yeah, I put it in a title, but really, I agree with you. Like, this is people are dunking hard on BlockFi and all these other centralized players that are having problems. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's why you see that word thrown around. I put it in the title just because it's what, I don't know, people well, are calling that's it. That's how but... it's being framed. I think that that is how it's being framed. And um, I don't want to gripe over, like, the, the names or the words we use too much. But, you know, words do matter. And how you characterize things can have a positive or a negative spin. So, yeah, I guess that's just really what I want to well, focus on. But I do wonder what they're going to get out of, the, out of keeping BlockFi alive. Like... BlockFi clearly had these problems. Uh, they have a lot of users, I guess, and accounts, and, and they lost a lot of money, according to reports. So I don't actually really know what what's the strategic play here. Like, what does FTX really even have to gain by investing in BlockFi? Are they just, is it a trade? Is it a long-term investment? I mean, I don't know. 
Yeah, well, they're pretty tight-lipped, um, and it's not like they're under public disclosure compulsions. Um, but I guess I would guess that, you know, as long as the users and the underlying business is solid, but they made a bad bet, and now they're at risk of defaulting, if they just, you know, if they can just get by by having re uh, strengthening their balance sheet to honor redemptions and retain uh, customer confidence so that they don't have a run on their, you know, on what they're holding so that they like freeze withdrawals, then, then you have a solid business that has um, loyal users. And um, I'm speculating, but I'm, I'm guessing maybe it makes, yeah. I would expect it makes some business sense, but I don't know. So. We'll have to just wait and see, huh? Yeah, we will. But uh, that's probably about time for us. But I appreciate you hopping on today, bud. Likewise. Catch you later. All right. See you, bud.